Welcome to the podcast of Grace and Peace Church. We're glad you're journeying with us, and we hope that you find value from the teachings. If you'd like to connect or support the mission of Grace and Peace Church, check us out at graceandpeacechurch.org or find us on Instagram or Facebook. Grace and Peace. All right, well, we are in this series where we're like cruising through Mark and we are almost done. It's almost to the end. We're in chapter 14 now. And because we're so far into it, I want to give you guys a real quick overview. So if like we pretend like this is like a Netflix series that Mark wrote, um, I'm going to like give you just a very brief layout of these 16 chapters and how it breaks down. And if you want to look at it in a very concise way, season one starts out in the beginning. Mark's just like, here's who Jesus is and here's why he is important. Here's how the truth came um, to be. And here's what it began to, um, here's how it began to take root in the community and, um, and express itself namely Jesus, right? And then we see in like what would be season two, um, the next part of that would be Jesus starting to ask, who do people say I am? And there's even a conversation where we went through and we looked at Peter's answer to who he says Jesus is. And he says, you're the Christ. And then Jesus starts to like express that and talk about it and, and really challenge the disciples to go, do we believe that he's Jesus or do we just believe that he's some good teacher that we hang out with and we're going to bail out pretty soon? And then the third portion of that is where Jesus goes, okay, so you're my disciples, you're following me, he's been teaching, he's been modeling what it looks like to follow him. And then now he's saying, I'm going to go and die on a cross. Like I'm going to go and like give up my life in order to conquer sin. And, um, and so he begins to prepare them for this like process of like going, okay, there's something big that's happening here and he's more than just a good teacher, right? Um, he is so much more than that and it challenges the religious leaders of that day, which we've been hitting on over and over, and also challenges the disciples to go, is this the song that I sing? Is this the name that I sing? Is this the, the person that I'm gonna follow and worship and be a part of? And, and we see that Peter falls away, right? We're going to hit on that a little bit in this thing. Judas sells out Jesus already at this point. And so we begin to see like uh, almost like a, a turning point where it's like, are you part of this or are you not? Do you believe that this is truth? Do you believe that what Jesus is doing is transforming the world for all time? Or do you believe that he's just a good teacher and he's coming to do some good stuff to make people feel better? What, what Are you on this team or are you not? And... Today we're going to see that there is some serious pushback. People are angry about what Jesus is declaring. So when he declares that he is the Messiah, it begins to ruffle some feathers. It challenges the religious leaders, and they get angry. And so that's where this verse, or this, these few verses pick up. And so we're going to be in Mark chapter 14, um, 53 to 65. And um, let me... Uh, have uh, your Bible turn there. If not, I threw it in the notes on the digital bulletin. You can track there. And I'm just going to warn you, it gets intense. Okay. So this is Jesus before the council, starting in verse 53. And they led Jesus to the high priest. And all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. 
And Peter had followed him at a distance. Remember, Peter's already kind of second-guessing what's going on here and kind of denying what Jesus is doing. Right, he followed him right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards, warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. Okay, so remember, these are the religious leaders of that day. Um, they would have been in charge of the temple, and you got two groups that are kind of coming together, the chief priests, the Sanhedrin, and also talks about the scribes being there. So like, these are all the religious leaders looking in and saying, we need to kill him, which is crazy. We, I know I hit on this last week, but like, to think that the religious leaders, the people who represent God, are trying to kill one of the Ten Commandments. Like, it blows my mind. And I think we, we read through this and we kind of go, oh, yeah, you know, they just want to kill him because they're angry about, him, angry about what Jesus is doing. But no, this is, that's, a, that's pretty weighty. Like, the truth is really confronting these religious leaders in a very, very challenging way. So it goes on and says, um, they're trying to put him to death, but they found none. There's no, like, reason for it. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. So there's people who tried to make things up about Jesus in order to have him removed, to challenge what he was doing to basically get him killed. And some stood up and bore false witnesses against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another one not made with hands. Okay, so that's a verse that maybe you've heard, um, maybe you haven't, but... Um, Jesus talks about himself being the temple, and he talks about how he's going to be basically killed. He's going to be destroyed. But then in three days, what does he say? He's like, it's going to be brought back. And he demonstrates that he has the power over death through in that process. They misquote him, and they basically say, he's trying to trash the temple. And the temple would have been like, that's, that's where God resides, right? And so for him, for them to like make up a lie and say, we're going to destroy the temple. He talked about destroying this whole thing. He just wants to like, destroy what God's doing. And it's a lie, right? So it's not truth. So I just want to point that out. And it goes on in verse 59. It says, Yet even about their own, uh, this, their, own, their testimony did not agree. So even them, like, even them hearing it going, Yeah, we've kind of heard that, but we don't fully get this. And it goes on and says, And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garment. He's so angry. What further witnesses do we need? Basically, like, look what he's saying. Look what he's doing. Like, we don't need any more witnesses. We've proven that he's guilty. You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him and deserved death. They condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and strike him, saying to him, prophecy? And the guards received him with blows. So they started to beat him up. They spit on him. They lied about everything that had happened there and accused him of something that basically challenged who they were, right? 
So let's unpack this. This is a heavy passage right here. And you can see the, the tone is starting to move towards the cross, right? Like this is where he's now arrested. Um, and and I, I don't want to jump to that because we're going to get to that next week. So I want to I take this slower. But um, the heaviness of what's happening is a result of these leaders being offended by the truth that Jesus presents to them, right? The leaders that are there, the reason that they're angry, the reason that they are so adamant that they need to kill him is because their jobs are in jeopardy. Their position of power is in jeopardy. The amount of money that they are making is in jeopardy. Everything about who they are is in jeopardy because Jesus is coming in and saying, all this, this doesn't matter. You need to focus on Messiah, which is him, essentially. And it would have challenged everything that they had taught, everything that they had understood, um, and the system that they had created that they benefited from. So they couldn't find any evidence to prove that he is actually wrong. And we see this over and over in, in the gospel here. Um, and it says in verse 55, it says, the chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus, but they just could not find it. They could not find anything against him. This raises a really good example of the importance of truth and understanding how truth will challenge us. Because if we put ourselves in the Sanhedrin's shoes and say, we don't like the truth that Jesus is presenting to us, we can do the same exact thing. So I'm going to unpack that a little bit. I know that's kind of a, like we're throwing ourselves under the bus a little bit. But um, the debate over whether or not Jesus is who he is and has the power to do what he is doing is confronted by our fear that it's going to challenge the freedom that we have over our own lives. Does that make sense? So what Jesus presents is a way that's different than what you are used to, different than what I am used to. That when I first heard the gospel, I heard a beautiful message that Jesus invites us into, but he says, I'm not going to leave you the same. He invites us into a transformed life that says, you're going to have to give up some things in order to follow me, right? He told the disciples over and over, he's like, you're going to have to give up everything to follow me. And that required a sacrifice on their part, right? And that's the difficult part. The Sanhedrin, the leaders of that day, they did not want to give up their power, their freedom, the, th the ability to control kind of the religious culture at that time. They didn't want to give that up, right? They had a good thing going. And I think that that is the challenge that Jesus brings to all of us. And it's something that as a pastor, preacher, bringing the word. I could easily just glance over this passage and just be like, Jesus is great. He wants to transform life. It's so good. And just follow Jesus and everything will be good. But the challenge that we are presented with when we follow Jesus is that it's not always easy, right? Like if we're honest about like following Jesus, the invitation that he gives us is like, you need to surrender all of your life and follow me. Give up everything, your agenda, everything that you want to do and follow me. That's not easy right? That is difficult. There's a challenge in that. And that's what these guys are confronted with. And I think what this does, and, and for me, like 
what helped me kind of understand this a little better is understanding that there's a difference between what I want and what Jesus wants. And it doesn't always line up, right? And I'm going to use an example here in a second. Um, there's subjective truth that exists in our world. These are two things that we, I think, as believers have to really, like, wrestle with. So this is like, we're going to get into some, like, kind of heady theology kind of stuff. But there's subjective truth and there's objective truth. And I'm going to use this dollar to give you an example. So this dollar is pretty haggard. <laughs> it's taped up. It's got tape on it. Um, it's, it's been around for a while. It's pretty thrashed. Um, this is a dollar that my oldest daughter, Kai, gave to me because she said, this one is totally beat up and thrashed and has tape, and it's probably not worth a dollar anymore. Can I have a fresh one? <laughs> and I've kept it in my Bible ever since then because I'm, I actually gave her a fresh dollar, but I explained to her that no matter how thrashed this dollar is, what is it? It's still a dollar, right? So subjective truth in her mind, she was like, it's not worth a dollar because it's torn and has tape on it and it's ugly and it doesn't look like it's worth a dollar anymore because it's not fresh and clean. And I was like, no, like it's always going to be worth a dollar, right? Objective truth says that it's always going to be worth a dollar. Subjective truth says, no, it's not worth it because it's ugly and it's nasty and it's not worth it. And I've used this analogy to talk about our lives that sometimes we think we are worthless, but I'm going to use this analogy. I'm going to take it further. We're going to go further with this one in a second after I talk about some more stuff. But your opinion can be like, yeah, no, it's not worth it because it's nasty and it's gross and it's thrash and it's old, so it's not worth a dollar anymore. But does that make it true? No. The truth is it's still worth a dollar. That's objective truth. So we can all argue about it. We can be like, no, it's ugly. It's gross. There's no way that it can be worth a dollar anymore. Like, and most of the people in the room would be like, no, still worth a dollar. Like, you can argue it. We could all come up with some, like, really good scam and be like, hey, any dollars that are ugly and old and torn, they're not worth a dollar anymore. And we could go out and start preaching about it. We could tell other people about it, right? And people would be like, you guys are quacks. You're crazy. I don't know what Kool-Aid you've been drinking. It's still what? A dollar, right? Okay. I'm going to leave it right here just so you can, we can think about it. Truth, whether we deny it, whether we like it or not, exists. And we have to face that. And I think that's one of the things that it'll make us squirm in our seat. It'll make us squirm when it comes to our faith because there's things that Jesus will invite us to. And I will say truth that Jesus invites us to that will make us uncomfortable, that will challenge us, that will be like, oh, really, do I have to? That's difficult. Like, I, I really don't want to give up my bank account to God. Like, I don't really want to do that. Like, I earned that money. That's not his. And he's like, well, really? Let's talk about that. That's one example. Um, my, just whatever thing you want to fill in, we can constantly be challenged, and I'm sure there's different seasons in life too, where we're challenged by our personal freedom versus what Jesus says, like, I want to truly set you free with a truth that will bring new life to you. So you won't be tied to your bank account anymore. You won't be tied to your possessions the way that you used to be. You won't think that it's the end of the world when your truck gets trashed, right? I've been there. I've been like, oh, I love my truck way too much. And then it got totaled, right? Like, we can get so attached to things. And I think that's an 
Those are truths. Those are subjective truths that we think, my truck will make me happy. And then I discovered that once it was totaled and gone and it's no longer in my life, that it really doesn't matter. I can get another truck or get another vehicle. It doesn't even matter if I have a vehicle. I can have joy without a vehicle, right? So subjective truth tells us, like, I need to have certain things. I need to, a certain belief about how the world should be, how my life should be on a regular basis will tell us that that's what brings freedom and joy. But what Jesus begins to do is bringing a new way of living. And what we see here, why Jesus is arrested, why, he's, why they want to kill him, is because their idea of freedom, truth, who God is, what joy looks like, what religious life looks like, is being completely destroyed by what Jesus brings to the table. It's being challenged, and so they're like, they're holding on to it even tighter, and they're like, we need to get rid of this guy because he's challenging what we believe. What they believed was not truth, right? And it was being challenged. I listened to a podcast that I linked into your, the digital bulletin that you guys can listen this week. It's like an hour long. Um, have fun with this one. But uh, a friend of mine, Ruslan, and another pastor that's here in Oceanside, Jeff Moores, um, had an interview with their friend who's an atheist, and they sat down and have a conversation about like why he believes what he believes and why they believe what they believe, and had open conversations. It's like they're friends. It's not like they were like angry and they're like bullhorning him and trying to kick this guy out. They just had an open conversation, which I love. I think it's beautiful. Um, in that conversation, and the reason I linked it in there is because I'd love for you to listen to it and begin to hear the argument for why this guy doesn't believe that Jesus is the only way um, is because he believes that that challenge is his personal freedom to do what he wants to do, right? And I would argue, yes, it does. It does begin to challenge and push back on your personal freedoms. Um, but what is really interesting is that you begin to see that a lot of his arguments came from a place of, I just don't feel like whatever it is. I don't feel like Jesus can be the only way. I don't feel like fill in your blank. I don't feel like God can tell us like not to do certain things. And it was very much feeling-based. And the beautiful like part of that conversation was the kind of like the realization that you had of like, well, yeah, I guess I can't use that as an argument, right? Have you ever felt a certain way and then followed that feeling and then it lets you down in the end, right? We've all been there at some point. Like, I'm sure you can think of some examples like where you felt like this is what I should be doing. I'm going to put all my eggs in this basket. And then you were let down and you're like, yeah, I followed my feelings and that wasn't a good choice. Um, if you think about maybe relationships, that can be one. Um, feeling based. Um, some of feeling can be healthy, have a healthy balance in that. But if we always follow feelings, it will not lead us to truth. Because feelings will continually be based on just my physical being, right? Rather than really what's outside of me and bigger than who I am as a person. Um, and so the whole idea of it being feeling-based has to be confronted. We have to begin to 
recognize that there are areas where feeling can be acknowledged, but there's other areas where we can recognize that feelings can lead us down a really, really bad road. Um, And so I bring that up just because what we begin to see here is a denial of truth, a denial of really what's outside of them and what they felt is challenging who they are as religious leaders at that time. And they weren't ready to acknowledge it. They weren't ready to say, yeah, you know what? We're wrong and we're going to shift. You know, like the way we believe uh, about God, the way that we live out our faith here, it's wrong and we have to shift it. We have to begin to change it. And they weren't willing to do that. And so I think that when we aren't willing to shift our, which our ideology, which is basically what they were dealing with, their ideology of how the world works, how religious organizations work, um, it was being confronted, and they weren't okay with it. So they're like, let's kill him and let's remove him. What Jesus brings to these religious leaders who prioritized money, power, control, um, it would have been kind of like the modern-day televangelist that's like trying to maintain their million-dollar salary uh, by just saying the things that make everyone happy, that make everyone feel good, but don't actually confront the truth. And that's why this is a really hard sermon to preach in some ways, because we don't want to hear that often. We, don't, we want to hear the feel-good message. We want to hear the, like, everything's great with Jesus and it's all happy-go-lucky. But that's only part of the truth. We need the entire truth, the entire truth that there is only one way, that there is one way to truth and discovering that life to the full. And when we're confronted with it, we have a choice that either we ignore it and we say, I'm going to continue to live life the way I want to live life, or we actually engage with it. And what Jesus does is what Chris brought up last week and what I want to piggyback is he says, I am. In his response to the religious leaders, he says, I am all those things that I've already told you about. He doesn't have to defend himself because he's already talked about it over and over. That's why he's standing in front of them because they're angry about that. Um, But for him to say, I am, it describes all of those things that he had already spoken. And Carissa brought that list up last week, and I just want to bring it up again. And this is why it's so controversial. This is why it's so confronting to these religious leaders. He says, I am the bread of life. According to them, the bread was in the temple and it resided there. He says, I am the light of the world. There is no other light. It's I am the light. Like literally he's saying, I, Jesus, am the light of the world. There's no other way of looking at it. There's no other like source of, of light. It's him. He says, I am the door. All these statements begin to really make truth statements about like who Jesus is and what he claims about how he's going to live in our lives. And he says, I'm the good shepherd. That implies that there are other shepherds that aren't as good. This is the good shepherd, the one that we follow that brings life to the full as we look at John 10, 10, the verses before that. And he says, I am the resurrection and the life, that life is found truly in him. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So there he's very clear about it. Truth is found in him. And he says, I am the vine. Um, And the vine insinuates that you can grow on your own, you can try to live life on your own, or you can begin to say, I'm going to graft into the vine that Jesus invites us into, 
and my sustenance is going to come from him. My source of life is going to come from him. The fruit that I bear is going to be as a result of being connected to that vine. Um, It's an analogy that really describes us beginning to say, it's not about me anymore. It's about me connecting to what God is doing and participating in that. And so my agenda, it's not just my solo mission anymore. It's now part of what God is doing. And again, these are very bold claims that that call us to a decision of like, do I want to be part of this? Do I think that this is good? And, and this is where I want to get to like the truth of it and the beauty of it. Because when you begin to really picture the audience that is sitting there listening, they would have heard these messages that Jesus was bringing. They would have heard what he was talking about when, it, when he talks about being the life and life to the full. They would have heard the Sermon on the Mount. They would have heard these truths. And I'm actually going to go back and, and just kind of reference some of those because as I was studying and I began to look at it and go like, what is the beautiful truth that Jesus brings that is so, so much bigger than anything else that we see in this world? Any other kind of religious like understanding or whatever. What makes it so true, so universally true that we fall in love with it and want to be a part of it. Check this out. If I just go through the list of the Sermon on the Mount, like it starts out like being salt and light. So being a reflection of God's love in this world. He talks about he's come not to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. Talking about how he's like here to bring in these like these truths that were originally designed to bring life to people. He talks about anger, Right? How many of you experienced the horrible repercussions from having anger in your life or someone else's anger towards you in your life, right? Every human being, whether you're a Christian or not, would go, yeah, that's been destructive in this world. Lust, the next topic he hits on. How many of you have followed just even a lustful thought and said, my life will be better if fill in your blank? right? That's saying, like, I'm just going to take control of it. And what Jesus pushes back, and he says, no, don't do that. Like, have a pure heart. Love people because of the fact that they are loved by God, right? He goes on, talks about divorce. He talks about oaths, the brokenness that happens when we begin to lie to people, right? How many of you enjoy being lied to? Just for reference on the podcast, no one raised their hands. <laughs> we don't. We're not into that. These are truths that Jesus is preaching where he's like, I've designed you to live a certain way, and this is what's going to bring life abundant to your life and the people that you live with, right? So this is where it gets beautiful and exciting. It's no longer depressing and sad where it's like, oh, i got to give up my freedoms. No, this is giving up all of that life, all the destructive patterns in order to adopt this new way of life but it requires me to surrender and give up all of that. It goes on and it talks about retaliation, right? We have kids. We know about retaliation. They're just always like, she hit me first. It's like, that never, ever ends. It's like, well, then she hit me harder, so I had to hit her back. And it just always keeps going and compounds, right? Jesus brings this truth where he's like, don't do that. Don't do this eye for an eye thing. That just, it goes forever. Like, begin to love one another, right? He goes on, he says, love your enemies right after that. 
Like, love those who persecute you because it's going to get difficult and there's always going to be people that will persecute you. Satan is always going to try and use somebody to bring you down and do something evil. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's a friend or a family member. It's always going to be something, right? So he says, love your enemies. Give to the needy, right? Can anybody argue that if someone is in need, if they need shelter, clothing, if they're starving, that it's a good thing to ignore them? Right? Like, these are universal truths, objective truths that we all will say, yes, that is beautiful. That is life-giving. Um, Lord's Prayer. He talks about how to pray. Part of that prayer is he says, don't stand out on the street corner to try and look holy in front of everybody. He says, go and pray in privacy with humility. These religious leaders, they were known for praying out and trying to look as holy as they possibly could. So you can see why they want to murder him, right? It goes against their ideology of how religious um, operations take place. It would have confronted them big time. So the Lord's Prayer talks about fasting, spending time sitting with God, surrendering your life, and not getting so wrapped up in all of the, even the material things and even the the food that we sometimes worship, that we're like, I have to have this or I won't be happy. I need my coffee, right? Like fasting is this recognition that God is our provider and not food, not all these other things. Sure, we need those things, but they are not God. They are not the thing that truly sustains us. And he says, don't be anxious. Anybody disagree with that, (laughs) right? Like if he's giving us ways to not be anxious, he's like, look at the birds of the air. He says, just like, trust that your father in heaven is here to take care of you, provide for you. Like, don't be anxious. Don't stress about tomorrow. He's like, let tomorrow be tomorrow. And he goes, just just live in the moment now. Learn to be fully present. Is that a truth that anybody would argue? Objective truth that we just say, yes, that is good. That is beautiful. Judging others putting others uh, in, with a label that they don't deserve because you've seen one part of their life and you're like, oh yeah, they're evil. Don't ever talk to them. Don't hang out with them, right? Judging others. Asking will be given to you. The golden rule. Ever heard that one? I'll read it. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, also uh, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Love others as you would want to be loved, right? Golden rule. Many people outside of the Christian faith will quote that and use that and say, yeah, I just live by the golden rule because that's just everything. That's just loving. And I'm going to say, well, yeah, let's, let's talk to the author that created that. Like Jesus is, he's the one, <laughs> right? Let's, let's begin to follow that. That's a truth that he invites us into. And it goes on and he ends this whole Sermon on the Mount where he says, build your house on a rock. I'll read the the exact verse. He says, everyone then who hears these words, all these truths about how we should live life, um, hears all these words and does them, so puts them into action, will be like a wise man who built his house on a rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house but it did not fall because it had been founded on truth. It doesn't say truth. But we all know that 
it's true that if you build your house on a rock, it's not going to fall down, right? If you build your house on sand, what can happen? It can wash away. So he's using an analogy to talk about truth, to talk about using your mind to reason and say, these things are beautiful. These are things that I can stake my life on. These are challenging. They're difficult to live in at times. It's not always going to be easy, but it's true. It may be easier sometimes to build your house on sand because it's closer to home or something. But what he says, if you build your house on the rock, if you build your house on truth, it will last. It has a sustaining factor because it is a firm foundation, something you can depend on. And that's why I think truth is so crucial that we have to understand that truth is, is a reality in our world. And so I'm going to go back to this dollar to kind of close out. We all know that the dollar can be devalued, right? So this analogy that I use actually breaks down at some point. Because I told you guys, this dollar will always be worth what? Will it? It's based, if I take this dollar to, uh, well, they take it in Haiti. I was going to say like, uh, I don't know, Brazil. Is it worth a dollar there? Maybe, I don't know if people use dollars there. I'm trying to find a country that doesn't use dollars. But is it a dollar in other countries that don't use a dollar? No. We've ascribed its value. We as a country have ascribed a dollar. And even if, you know, inflation or whatever, like it can, it can change. The, really the value of this dollar can change ultimately. So my, my analogy kind of sucks. It breaks down. But here's what's cool about that. We don't live in a world where that will change. We ascribe to a truth that remains truth forever whether we all collectively as a society say it's worth it or not, doesn't change. Whether we as a society throw out God and say we don't want to be part of that anymore, doesn't change. Doesn't change the fact that it will still be true. And here's what I want us to picture and sit and meditate on for a moment. Regardless of what religious leaders tell you or what a soundbite on Instagram tells you, we have to discern truth. Because an interesting fact that I noticed as I read this passage, the rest of the room listened to a leader that sat in that room and said, we need to kill Jesus, right? There was a lot of other people, including Peter, that was probably standing way in the back of the room around a fire pit warming his hands, who knew the truth and did what? Nothing. That challenges me that I think sometimes I buy into stuff that I think, oh yeah, it'll always be worth a dollar. But it's, maybe it's not. Maybe I've bought into lies about really what makes me happy and content and joyful in this life. And it's only because I've listened to some soundbite where some like, I don't know, like business guru said, you gotta do this and then you'll be successful. What kind of soundbites do we listen to or what leaders do we listen to that tell us, yes, this is the way that our world should operate and yet it's not at all truth right? I'm not here to like give you those answers. I'm here to say, sit and wrestle with what is truth in our lives, because we all might have little bits of it that we think are all of the truth, but maybe we have gaps. Maybe we have areas that we need to wrestle with and go, yeah, you know what? I need to throw out that racist part of my life and begin to replace that with love and grace and acceptance, right? I don't know. That was just one example, but there's 
we all have little gaps in our lives where we've been told some kind of ideology about how things should work, and we got to throw some of that out and say, you know, that's not truth. Real truth, as some leader told me or somebody that was really influential in my life as a high schooler or whenever convinced me that I should think this way, and, and i got to change that. A whole room of people condemned Jesus to murder because they were all like, yeah, the Sanhedrin just tore his shirt and said, what other evidence do we need? And they're like, yeah, I guess, yeah, let's just go for it. Let's kill him. And Peter's back there going, yeah, I, I know the truth, but man. And you could tell he was pained by it if you read the next couple verses. Um, I, I, I just really want us to think about it, really think about our lives and what are the areas of truth that exist and what are the areas where we maybe have subjective truth, where we think or feel like, ah, that just doesn't sit well with me. Um, and begin to throw those things out and begin to rely on really what truth is. And so I would just say, let's live into those things. Let's live into what it means to really follow Christ and begin to build our house on a rock rather than on sand, build our house on truth rather than these things that culturally will come and go, opinions that will come and go, sound bites on Instagram or Facebook or whatever that will come and go, but really center around what is the truth that Jesus brings to us? And maybe you got to read the Sermon on the Mount to be reminded again, or maybe it's the first time you've read it. I would encourage you to do it. Let's be reminded of these truths that really transform life, um, that are good for us, but they're not always easy. They're not always easy. Um, they're not always convenient. Okay? Truths are not always convenient. Um, I was reminded recently, I'm going to close with this, that I have high cholesterol and I need to start working out more and I need more cardio and I need to start eating less donuts. <laughs> yep, or whatever it is, I don't know. I need to, I need to eat healthier. Um, that's a truth that I don't want to face, right? It's not convenient, it's tough, it's not easy, it's not something I want to hear. But we all know that like good health comes from physical exercise and diet. And I'm like, yeah, I know that, but I don't want to do that, okay? And, and I think that just for me, it's like the area of like one area that just illustrates the challenges that Jesus brings to our lives sometimes where he's like, be patient with that person. And you're like, no, that's not convenient or easy or whatever. And you don't do it. We're all, we all have those, those areas. And so let's live into that. Let's be the kind of people as grace and peace that live into those things and say, you know what, I need to, I need to step into the inconvenient, difficult truth and begin to go, you know what, I need, to, I need to live into that because it's ultimately what Jesus invites us to that sets us free, that brings freedom in our lives and brings freedom in other people's lives, okay? So um, let me pray over that because uh, this is going to weigh heavy on all of us this week, and it's a challenge, and it's difficult, but it's good, and it's freeing, all right? Lord, thank you so much for inconvenient truth, challenging truth, difficult truth that we got we to gotta sit with and we got to begin to live into um, because ultimately we want freedom, and we want others to see this kind of freedom. And so we're not going to shy away from these difficult conversations of helping people see this, and then also in our own lives of living into it and owning it. The fact that you come to set us free and give us new life and to transform life from the inside out. And so we invite you in. Help us, forgive us for the areas where we are like the Sanhedrin, where we just 
we just want nothing to do with you because it's difficult. Um, forgive us of those areas. Set us free from those areas. Uh, set us free from those lies. Um, help us to stake our lives on truth that you have come to bring life and life to the full. We love you, Jesus, and we pray this in your name.